Hey, y'all. So glad to be here today. Um, it's really a privilege. And I mean, Russell worked us out hard, okay? My wife is thankful. Also, he made us drink water. So I've got like an absurdly large canister of water that I always get made fun of. Um, yeah, all the time. Uh, again, I'm Blaine Hooper. I am the planning pastor of Refuge Church. Uh, Refuge Church exists to share and show Christ's love with everyone far from God in Sharpstown, especially first-generation immigrants and refugees. Uh, I served as uh, an infantry officer in Afghanistan, and uh, Southwest Houston is actually one of the number one spots for Afghans and other type of refugees to come to Houston. My wife, Anna, is the daughter of a Cuban refugee, and so immigrants and refugees are just uh, really important to us. Now, we're going to talk about family um, and enemies, maybe even frenemies today, uh, and how strangers can become family um, in the greater family of God. Now, when you hear the word stranger, what do you feel? What do you, what do you think? What image uh, flashes in your mind? Is it, is it this lady, right? Is it this uh, dark uh, stranger, right? Um, do you go on the alert when you hear stranger? What about enemy? What image comes to mind when you think enemy, right? Do you see a person uh, in your family, someone from your past, a neighbor, uh, someone on social media that you're sparring with constantly? Enemy. Um, for me, guys, uh, I, I was in the U.S. Army. Um, I, I think enemy, guys, just to be honest with y'all, I, I have this sort of almost bodily reaction. I, I, I clench my fists. I lean forward. I might sweat a little bit. There's this tinge of fear. And I honestly think of a, of a guy, right, with a certain type of headgear holding a gun. That's what I think about when I think enemy. Now, it's not kosher or polite uh, to admit that, that, that we have these feelings towards strangers or, or the fact that you have enemies, right? As, as Christians, we're often like, hey, man, I love everybody all the time. But if we're honest, some of our first reactions to stranger are, are pretty close to enemy, right? Um, there's this real fear, maybe, um, anger welling up toward the other, the other person, the other group that are not our people. And we can look at people sometimes and we can say, I, I, don't, I don't know them, but by the way they walk and talk, I just don't trust them. That, that is something that's, that's real. It's not necessarily something we act on, but, but it's real. If we're really honest... We actually believe that those people feel the same thing about us. Wow. And it creates this, this negative uh, conflict, this cycle that, that society seems to be really just like really digging and loving, right? Isn't that kind of what social media is about? Um, isn't that what reality TV is about? Uh, isn't that what reality uh, that we view on the news is about, right? All, all seem to sort of stoke this instinct to fear the other to stay away from those people. And they always seem to give us a new reason, a new confirmation that we are right, that we are righteous, and they are wrong. So bring it on, right? Bring it on the next fight, socially, economically, militarily. And there just doesn't seem to be a lot of peace in the world. Not a lot of peace out there, ever. You know, as someone who's experienced war and, and has watched the the stuff go down in Afghanistan. I, I'm, I've really been lamenting, guys. 
lamenting this conflict that just always seems to be in us. And it makes me sad. You know, it makes me feel like there should be something better for humanity, right? And I just, I've been asking the question, how in the world, how in this world can we live together in peace? Like, what if, if things were different? I think y'all, we could all probably agree, if we're honest, something would have to change. And that something would have to change deeply in us, most of all. There's good news. God sees, he cares. And God's word is not silent on this. In Ephesians 2, 11, if you guys have a Bible, you could pull it out. We're probably going to put it up here too, all right? Um, but in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, the apostle Paul writes to a, this church in Ephesus, that's in modern-day Turkey, and he's encouraging them to walk out the good news of God's grace in unity for the sake of the, the praise of the glory of his grace and peace being known the whole world over. Now, Ephesians, just like everybody else, they got problems, all right? Um, we, it turns out we didn't invent interpersonal conflict. Like, we may have perfected it in social media, but uh, Ephesus, like so many early churches, there's this ethnic tension between Jews who were historically the insider people with God, and then there's this uh, tension with culturally Greek Gentiles or non-Jewish people who were the outsiders. And now in Christ, they're together because of Jesus, but it's not easy. It's not easy. And Paul lets them and us know that Jesus is the answer. He wants us to have hope for a fragmented humanity, for what can be often a fragmented church. And he, and he wants us to change our whole perspective on this insider, outsider, us versus them dynamic thing that is so damning and so damaging to the church and to the human race. So, so here's what Paul is saying uh, in these verses. Just to sum it up, if, if you don't get anything, get this. We can live together in Christ's peace. We can live together in, in Christ's peace by remembering three things. Who we were before Jesus, what Jesus did for us, and who we are now in Jesus. We can live together in Christ's peace. Paul starts out in verses 11 and 12. Let me, let me read this with you. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow. To sum it up, Paul says that we were strangers. Remembering who we were before Jesus knew us, we were strangers. Now, this, this language of circumcision may throw you off, and it's weird for maybe a stranger to talk about this, but circumcision uh, was this physical procedure done to newborn Jewish baby boys as a symbolic way of setting them apart as God's chosen people. And so if you're a Jew, calling someone uncircumcised was like swearing at them, right? It, it was like something you would spit out, something that you would speak contempt about someone else because the Gentiles are outsiders. So why the antagonism? Well, one, Gentiles uh, ate unclean things, right? They ate pork and all sorts of shellfish and everything else. But more fundamentally, to the Jews, Gentiles did unclean things. 
They were not operating under God's laws that are found uh, in the Old Testament, the first half of this Bible. These Gentiles, and we have historical, archaeological uh, record, they lived a Greek or pagan way of life that was characterized by a lot of evil and demonism. And this shocked the people of God, right? Uh, for one, everything that, that Gentiles did, nearly everything was sexualized. Sexual immorality was everywhere. It was depicted on walls. It was a centerpiece of Gentile worship in their temples. Uh, there was human trafficking, um, as you, know, you guys are fighting against, right? There was prostitution and slavery, and, and there was substance abuse that often led to outbursts of violence. And Gentiles uh, were known to discard unwanted, sick, or uh, disabled children. Their forms of entertainment were grotesque. They watched people violently murder each other in these things called gladiatorial games. You guys may have seen movies about that. So the result of all that is that devout or religious Jews living by the law of God were like, hey, we're absolutely not going to hang out with these people. We're not going to eat with them. We're not going to socialize with them. We're not going to do what they do or, or be with them. And so Gentiles, in, in response, really resented the Jewish people. Like, you think you're better than us? So being called uncircumcised was not a good thing to be called. And so here's Paul's point. He wants us to remember who we were before Jesus. We were pagans. We were strangers and enemies of God, sinners and outsiders. That's what he says in verse 12. He says, you were separated from Christ. You were separated from Christ. In the beginning of, of chapter 2, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were by nature children of wrath. We were excluded, Paul goes on to say, from citizenship. Like so many refugees and immigrants who come here, they, they, they have no benefits, right? They have no rights, um, really many rights or benefits under the law, and they can, they can be kicked out at any time. They're foreigners. So Paul says this was us. We were foreigners to the covenants of promise. We were people without rights and privileges. And this separation from God also excluded us from God's family at the time, Israel. We were spiritual orphans. The image, I think, is, is of us, you know, being in a desert alone. And someone in the desert alone is, is going to die within a couple days. Paul summarizes by saying we were without hope. We were without God in the world. Now, I think remembering who we were before Jesus, strangers and outsiders, really helps us actually to live together in Christ's peace in, in two key ways. First, it completely humbles us. Nobody, nobody gets to Jesus because of how great we were. Nobody got eternal life because we deserved it. It was by grace, through faith. We were outsiders. We were enemies of God. We were estranged from his family, right? It, it was like Tiny Tim uh, looking through the window at the feast. That, that was us. And so we need to be humble and just happy that we're here, that we've been invited to the party by Jesus. And second, I, I think in addition to humbling us, remembering who we were before Jesus drastically changes our view of others in the church and especially those outside the church. Because far from being superior, knowing who I was, where I came from, separated from God's love because of my sin, I, I can't be superior I can't be judgmental of any way because I, I'm, I'm not an insider. And the result is, is if, 
If I've been saved by grace, if, if I'm a follower of Jesus, then I should have the most care, the most love, the most empathy for people regardless of their background. Because without the grace of God, I, I'm, I'm nothing, right? And that's exactly, actually, um, where Paul is going next. He's going to talk about the finished work of Jesus Christ in verses 13 through 16. Why don't you all uh, read along with me as I pick it up. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Right? That's a huge con con contrast from what he said before. He said, notice the huge uh, the difference there. He says, but now, this is who you are now. Did y'all pick up on Paul using the language of hostility and peace between Jews and Gentiles, like war and peace? It reminds me of this, this picture, right? Anybody know what this is? Anybody? Any history buff? Rice students? We got anything? All right. Um, this is uh, September 2nd, 1945, the battleship Missouri. Um, Admiral Halsey there is signing the end, the surrender, uh, the, the peace between Japan and, uh, and the Allies. It's over. The two sides have made peace. In the most destructive war in human history, 70 to 80 million people died in World War II. I mean, you got to think that like them signing this has to, be, it has to have been the, the greatest celebration of peace in the history of mankind. Right? The greatest celebration of peace. And that, that truly was incredible. But listen, Paul wants us to remember an even greater peace. And the greatest, most unifying thing that's ever happened to humanity, our, our, our broken and fragmented world is not the end of World War II. The greatest peace in human history came um, because Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. The infinitely perfect person died on our behalf on the cross. So remember what Jesus did. He is our peace. Paul says that he brought us, his enemies, near to God when we were without hope and without God. He destroyed the barrier. The image I think of is like Jesus came in like a wrecking ball, okay? Um, yeah, he, he came in and wrecked it. Uh, he knocked it down. Paul talks about a metaphorical wall. That's the law, the Old Testament. Um, codes of morality and how to relate to each other, how to worship in the temple. These things kind of functionally separated, right? Like we said, Jews and Gentiles. Jesus knocked it down. He fulfilled the law. And the effect of the separation had been 1,500 years at least of separation between God's family Israel and the Gentiles. And there were lots of wars and fighting and antagonism in between. And, and so really in filling, fulfilling the law, Jesus did what we couldn't. He went to the cross. He was our substitute. And in the process of dying and taking on the sins of both Jews and Gentiles, he put to death that hostility. He knocked over that wall, the, the wall between us and God and the wall between us and the family of God. Y'all, you know that all the different powers signed those peace documents. 
They did. How long did the peace last? Not long. So there's war's over now, right? No, it's, it's not over. In fact, it wasn't five or six years before the major powers of the earth started shooting at each other again, all right? And even worse, they made nukes. We got up to like, I, I, I looked it up, 80,000 nuclear warheads. 80,000, enough to blow up the earth several times and to kill everything on it. Um, that peace was great, uh, but it was only temporary. But the peace of Jesus for his family that he signed in his blood, that's forever. Amen? Yeah. And we ought to live together in Christ's peace by remembering that his blood has broken down the walls between us. And we're just people made in God's image. And when we remember how much Jesus suffered for that, we take unity and love a lot more seriously. A lot more seriously. And that's really the last thing that Paul wants to sort of reemphasize in the final verses, in verses 18 through 22. He wants us to remember who we are now. Let's, let's pick this up. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow. So the image, I think, is just us working together, hands together. That's us. Um, who are we now? We're the family of God. Jesus ended this 1,500-year antagonism and more. All the antagonisms he's going to end um, in, the, in the final state, in the eternal state. He brought a unity by the cross that was not possible by any amount of warfare, not possible by, by any amount of, of, of human effort. And Paul is driving us to this reality of our new identity in Christ that everything has changed because of Jesus. We are not strangers or aliens. We are citizens. We are members of God's household. We're part of his family. And you know, it's one thing to stop shooting at each other. It's another thing entirely to become a family that loves each other unconditionally. And what's more, Paul, Paul's alluding to it, and, and Russell talks about this a little bit, but, but we're, we're invited to a mission, a partnership, a worldwide work of redemption of God. We're part of his most vital work in the world, God's work to build his church, one family from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we're being built into a spiritual temple of the Lord, brick by brick, relationship by loving relationship, one disciple, one local church at a time. And this is the biblical story. From almost one day one, humanity sort of broke itself and has been fragmented. But in Jesus Christ, He's changing, and he's changed every single one of us one by one from the inside to love as he loved, to, to sacrifice as he sacrificed, to embrace his new family, bringing humanity back together again. That's, that's what Jesus was about. That's what Paul is talking about. So we can, rem we can live together in Christ's peace by remembering that we are one family in Jesus Christ. Now, in light of all these beautiful truths, how do we live? 
What, what do we do with this stuff? I, I, I have a few ideas. <laughs> and I didn't come here to shamelessly plug my church, but I've got some great ideas for us. One, um, I think for the follower of Jesus Christ, I think we need to practice peace with our enemies. We need to practice peace with our enemies. Uh, y'all probably don't realize, but in 1994, the Hutu tribe uh, killed nearly 800,000 of their Tutsi neighbors. Innocent, this man on the left, ironically named, killed the brother uh, and some of the family members of this man, Gaspard, on the right. They don't look like enemies, do they? Gaspard is practicing peace with his worst enemy. Because of Jesus, Gaspard has totally, freely forgiven innocent. Only the grace of God in Jesus makes this possible. Makes the impossible possible. It allows us to extend a, a type of peace of forgiveness to our worst enemies. And this is the work, the work and the ministry of reconciliation that God wants to do in your heart first. There's something that must change. And in the world, through you, and the gospel, look, it's not, like innocent is not pretending uh, that, that what happened didn't happen, okay? The gospel allows innocent to go in wide-eyed, seeing the evil in the world, and forgiving anyway. That's incredible. So ask yourself, what area of my life does God want me to practice peace? What area of my life does God want me to practice peace? Are you in an unhealthy conflict? with your spouse, family member, partner, someone you used to know? Are you holding back forgiveness? And you know, forgiveness is really hard. But listen, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So I invite you to practice peace. Take your first step this week. Second, um, I have a, a sort of personal invitation to preach peace. Do you guys know... Uh, can you tell me about this? Anybody? Talk to me, guys. Uh, what, what is this? Yeah, it's a, it's a plane um, on a, I think, C5, a massive plane. Uh, these people literally are just carrying the shirts on their back. These are Afghan refugees, strangers to our land. Um, and they're coming here as refugees uh, by the thousands. They're fleeing 40 years of poverty, extreme human conf uh, conflict, war, Houston is the number one refugee resettlement city in the United States. 4,000 Afghans will be coming to Houston in the next three months um, by year's end. I'd like you to put yourself in their shoes. Even if you, like, got here, right? You made it to Houston, Texas. Um, past the Taliban checkpoints and, and the IEDs and the suicide bombers and years of conflict. Even if you came to America, it's not going to be easy for you even if you made it and got rich, despite the trauma and poverty and being resettled in a kind of bad area of town and the failing schools that they put your kids into, you've got a bigger problem. In your mosque or your temple, you don't hear about Jesus. In your ethnic group, you're isolated. You don't even have a friend who knows Jesus or to walk with you towards him. Even if you made it to America, you got rich. There's, there's a good chance that even in Houston, Texas, that you could come here, escape death, maybe get rich, 
probably not, but die here without ever hearing the words, Jesus loves you. Wow. So some of you might have the prejudice I used to have that the Lord, it's a long story, but the Lord literally blew me out of it against Muslims and against Muslim men in particular. You might feel that they're dangerous or they're different or they're unworthy of our help or our love, but neither were we. We were strangers, foreigners to the covenants of promise, but Jesus, he's brought us near. So, y'all, God's put us in this city, in this time of, in this city of immigrants and refugees, in this time of trial for a reason. Will you preach peace in Jesus to the stranger, to the refugee in your midst? I invite you to partner with Refuge Church in this uh, by coming to serve, to welcome, to empower Afghan men and women in the next few months, and preach peace with your lips and your lives. Y'all, uh, finally, if you've come here today and you're maybe an outsider to Christianity, um, you, you, maybe you feel like you're, you're estranged from God, like the, that, God, that Paul was describing you. Thanks for sitting through this sermon. It was not easy. Uh, and you may feel like a stranger uh, in this church or to God, but I want to tell you, you're not a stranger to God. He knows you. He knows every hair of your head. Uh, he knows the day of your birth. He knows the day of your death. He loves you infinitely. Cross over. Cross over to Jesus. Today, uh, Jesus is welcoming you with open arms. There are no barriers to entry. Not your sin, not your mistakes, not your parents' mistakes, not anything that has happened to you. On the cross, Jesus knocked down all those barriers. To receive eternal life, the only thing that is asked of you is not working harder, not being a better person, not even being Mother Teresa, okay? The one thing that is asked of you is to believe. Jesus said this, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has died in your place. He's, he's taken your sin and he's risen from the dead and you'll be saved. And he invites you to trust in him today. Jesus said, for as many as received him, to those he gave the right to become children of God. And so I'm going to pray and uh, invite Andrew up. Lord, I, I thank you that you have made peace by the blood of your cross. God, I, I pray that it would change every ounce of my being, that I would live like someone um, humble and not superior. <laughs> God, I, I pray that uh, in every way, um, that the cross of Jesus would do its full work in me and in everyone here. Lord, I, I, uh, I pray for those who have yet to receive you. God, we lift up the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the refugee. God, help us to be a part of your work of unification through Jesus in the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.